even better than water is Beth's iced tea. Yes! You know it's true, everyone. So before we jump in this morning, um, I wonder if there's anybody who is brave enough to... Thank you, Kathy. To uh, share something of what happened last night during that exercise. So it would be sharing what, what does the mean voice say, and then what did the, the nice voice say. You know, um, some of you may find this strange, because in a prayer ministry kind of setting, we're used to jumping to... This is what um, I believe, this is the lie I believe, but what is God saying? But there's actually a middle step, and sometimes I'll trick people if they say something to me like, I just feel like, you know, no one likes me, I feel like I don't belong, I feel like um, when I walk into a room, um, no one even notices, you know. So, so yes. Okay, you can share it. Come on up. And, and so sometimes I'll just say to people, especially if people say something like, I just feel like I'm so ugly, I'll say to people, what would you say to me if I said that to you? And they say, oh my goodness, I would just say, you are so beautiful. Like you, gosh, how can you think that? You're, you're just lovely. And, and I said, well, why can't you speak to yourself like that? And there's, there's, a, there's a part of even your brain that that frontal cortex part is actually more objective, more intuitive. And that's the place where God can speak to you. And sometimes the first step is just to say, gosh, I am being really mean to myself. There's a really strong self-critical voice at work. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I am going to use my nice voice to speak to myself. And as I'm doing that, I know that God's going to step in, and he's really kind. Joy. <laughs> You're okay. So what you want to do is you want to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath in. Let it go all the way down to your tummy. Okay. We'll do it three times. One more. Deep breath in. All the way to your tummy. Okay. And then one more. Wipe your eyes. Wipe your nose. And then one more deep breath all the way in. Let me hear it come in. That's right. One more deep breath. Okay, you'll be all right now. Just keep breathing. You're not good enough. Look, 
look at what you do with the kids at school. Look how strong you are at home with your family. Like, look at what God has put inside. Like, don't look at outside. So. That's really good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say one thing. She was brave enough to get up here and say that. Yes. That, is, yeah. that is scary. It is scary. <laughs> so anyway, come on up, my dear. It's my breakfast partner. We had breakfast together today. I learned all about her cats. One of whom is called Isabel. Yeah, Isabel. Isabel the cat. Um, it is with Raquel. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Raquel. Hi. Okay, so my bad thoughts were you will always be alone. Nobody wants you. Nobody cares about what you feel or want. And fatty. <laughs> Like, um, okay. <laughs> so that was just like stuff that, like, my mom would say to me when I was younger. Oh and like, even though I didn't really take it in or believe it, as I got older, I think that. <laughs> Like, I accepted any kind of relationship because of it. And, uh, like, now she's staying with me and everything, and, like, she still has her own way of, like, criticizing me, even when she doesn't realize it. And I'm starting to, like, realize, like, a lot of the reasons why, like, when I do backslide or fall off is really because of, like, I'm growing to know, like, sh I, like, she damaged me, you know? And um, it's not just her fault, but, like, <clears throat> I believe that um, the Lord was giving me a dream last night about, like, just to start, stop living for everybody else and take care of myself. And uh, I always listen to what she tells me, and I'm always going out the way to just what she say is right. And I'm just now I'm just realizing like it's time for me to just be my, come into my own and stop listening and letting her voice be louder than what God is saying. So um this is what I got from him yesterday after this uh, the bad words, but the good words were you are strong, you are beautiful. You don't have to settle. God is with you. Right. Take care of yourself. It's nothing wrong with saying no. <laughs> You're an overcomer. People are allowed. People who are allowed into your life will be blessed because of you. Yeah. And yeah. So.
which is about, you know, when you... Um, any of us in this room who've been mothers have all the grace in the world for our own mothers because I don't bring my best mothering to the table every time. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. But, but if, if mum has been for us, particularly mum, because it is mum that primarily that builds the architecture in our social brain. She builds the architecture for all of our future relationships. And if mum is somebody who we don't always feel safe around uh, because she's unpredictable or because she seems a bit scary to us when we're little. However, <clears throat> we're hardwired to, to stay close to mum because we need her to survive. You know, neurons that fire together wire together. So what it does is it puts a little working model in your mind where even as a grown-up, you think you have to stay close to people that frighten you. You think you have to stay close to people that hurt you, and you always think you have to do the hard thing. Because your little hippocampus, which is in your limbic system, this part in the middle, is your puzzle maker. It's the part of your brain that makes your life autobiography and continues to confirm the story of who you are, what life is for you, how you operate, um, what your working models are for relationships. This isn't spirituality, this is neuroscience, right? So if you've learned when you were little, I have to stay close to people that scare me and are mean to me and talk bad to me because that's how I survive, you will find as a grown-up you'll find yourselves in those kinds of relationships because you already have a working model in your subconscious that works, uh, you know, one twentieth of a second it takes to inform your decisions, whereas your conscious mind takes half a second. So there's a voice in your head that talks faster than the one you know about, okay? The voice that you don't know talks to you quicker. When, it, when I say you don't know, I mean the subconscious voice where all of that stuff is hardwired inside of you, where all of those GPS systems to navigate your relationships are in there, the really, really good news is that it can still completely change. Yes. You've probably heard this, uh, there's a lot of this stuff around right now with Dr. Caroline Leaf and so on, but our brains are neuroplastic, which means that they can change. Your thought processes can change, your neural pathways can be altered, all of it can change until the day you die. And um, we'll take some more testimonies over the weekend. So get ready for that. But for me, in this journey, um, I have had a, a recent encounter from God that was really powerful to me from Psalm 23. And I'm going to kind of take you through this this morning. Um, you know, the last couple of years for me has been a whole new wave of what we might call inner healing, um, wholeheartedness, growing in restoration and all of that. And it, the beginning of it was this whole airplane issue. But what that did was um, I had this realization and I, I had actually gone to see a therapist to work through this post-traumatic stress. And uh, when we got to the bottom of the airplane issue, which was that feeling I had as a little girl on the airplane that everything is falling apart, something really, really bad is happening, that no one will tell me the truth, and how that got triggered when I was on the airplane, right? 
And the interesting thing is when trauma, when old trauma gets reactivated in your life, it never presents itself to you as a memory. It never comes with a long ago feeling. It comes with a very present active feeling. So you think it's all about what's happening now. And it actually takes attention and curiosity to figure out, no, these are long ago feelings. And I've come into this way of describing it that there are my long ago feelings and there are my today feelings. And all the complications seem to happen when my long ago feelings start splashing around and splash over into today's feelings. That's where things get really complicated and really muddy. And so uh, the therapist that I was seeing, uh, I was really happy after I got on an airplane after we'd had four or five sessions together and I flew with no drugs, I didn't have any anxiety. And I came back into the counseling room and I said, I think I'm, this is it, I'm fixed. I knew it would only take six sessions. And she said to me, one of the worst things any human has ever said to me, she said, yes, that's very good. This has been a real success. She said, but now we need to deal with the areas that airplane Stephanie is showing up in the other parts of your life. And I looked at her like, you have to be kidding, you absolute cow, which is what English people would say. Is Chrissy in here? Right, you know, when we, we call people a cow, it has a certain subtext, right? You're not really being that awful. It's kind of a, a cutesy word, but oh my goodness. I am telling you, looking at that was so painful because I had like a whole way of operating in my life that just kept everything manageable, but I just didn't see it. And for me, it was all to do with these attachment trauma issues. <clears throat> so in the midst of this, I had a visit from the Lord Jesus. And when I say that to you, um, you know, I think God visits with us every day. You know, we, we hear him, we sense him. When we read the word, he's very present. But there are times when the Lord comes to you in a different way. And the fruit of that, that is that there is some kind of indelible transformation. There's something that goes into you that no one can ever take away. And this was one of those moments, and um, <clears throat> I was looking at a dynamic I had noticed in my life where if I got triggered in just the right way, um, I would really want to run. And the amazing thing is, when you're smart, is you can figure out a hundred ways to run without anyone noticing that you've left the room. <laughs> if you're good at this, you can figure out maybe a thousand ways to run while you're still there smiling and your mouth is still moving, but you've just gone somewhere else. Yeah. And in the midst of looking at this, the Lord visited with me and he spoke over me the words of Psalm 23, but kind of he changed the wording a little bit to suit exactly what he was trying to say. And this is what the Lord said to me. Stephanie Jones I am your shepherd, and you have been lacking. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Stephanie Jones, I am your shepherd. He came and stood right in front of me with the shepherd's clothing on, the staff in his hand. Stephanie Jones, I am your shepherd, and you have been lacking. And I understood that when he said that, he meant... I have been lacking wholeheartedness. I have been lacking wellness in some areas of my life. 
you know, are you lacking somewhere? I know you are, so don't, you know, don't do that. <laughs> I just know people now. I've listened to more people talk, especially in the last two years, uh, since I've come into a deeper grasp of even empathy. You know, I think, <coughs> this is just an aside, but, you know, sympathy is that thing when, let's say Kathy is like in a really dark place, and sympathy says, oh, Kathy, hi, Kathy, I see you down there. I will bring you back up again. Come with me. Come up the mountain. You know, you, you kind of I see you down there, and I'll throw you a rope down, and I'll help pull you up. Well, sympathy is really important, and it's, you know, God is sympathetic. And I have this kind of realization that uh, because of my own roadmap, I was much better at sympathy than I was at empathy. Empathy says... Wow, Kathy, you're down there in a big thing of my. Give me two minutes. I'll climb down. Okay, climb down. Whew. Man, this is deep. Whew. This is really miserable down here. Gosh. Well, I'll just sit here with you. So, uh, how are you feeling? Yeah, it sucks down here. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get up again, but I'll sure sit with you. I mean, I've got to go back up for dinner, but I will come back down later, so <laughs> anyway, I'll, see. I'll be back down in about two hours, all right, because it really sucks down there, you know? <laughs> Empathy is a little bit more like that. It's more like, I'll come and be with you in your mess, but I'm not putting any pressure on you to get out of it right now. And, you know, God is, is both sympathetic and empathic to us. Um, often we're in a rush to fix everything. God is not in a rush. And something really slowed down with me in the last couple of years, and I really started to listen to people. You know, if I was listening to people, there was another track in my mind saying, how can I help you get fixed? And somehow that track kind of went quiet, and I started to really, really listen. And I really came into a deeper understanding of, of who people are. And how at the end of the day, what most of us are most afraid of is being abandoned. Mm -hmm. Underneath all of it. You know, you can take a, a symptom at the top like jealousy. And, and many times when people come and tell me they're jealous, I realize you're actually not jealous. You're afraid of being rejected. And if someone else has that thing and you don't have it, they seem more lovable than you. But it, and it makes you feel stuff that you hate feeling. Yeah. But really it's because you're afraid of being rejected. And, and what will happen to you if you're rejected? Well, I'll be alone. And what will happen to you if you're alone? I'll just, there'll be nothing. I'll, I'll die. You know? It's like Mephibosheth came from the land of nothing. There's a land of nothing inside of most of us that we are just terrified to look at. And yet God is empathic enough to just come and has come into your nothingness. You know, he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so when Jesus said to me, Stephanie Jones, I am your shepherd and you have been lacking, I just intuitively knew where, where we were going here. And then he said, and I am making you to lay down in pastures green. I am making you to lay down because you have been running from this your whole life. Because you have been running from this your whole life. And when he said that, it took me somewhere. Diana, are you here? Who 
Could you put up the one of the pictures that I emailed you? Do you have it? I'll show you. I have it here in hard copy. But you might not need it. So it took me here to this little girl. Stephanie Jones, I'm your shepherd. You have been lacking. And I'm now making you to lay down. And it's funny because I'm sitting here in green pastures. I don't know if you Because you have been running from this your whole life. And what it took me to was this little girl. This is me when I was uh, six years old, five or six. And um, my school that I went to is right here. You can just see a building in the background there. These are my little red Wellington boots. And when I was this age was when I was first sent to primary school, as we call it, which is, I think, a tolerable event for most children. You know, it shouldn't be traumatic. But because for me, my dad had left home, my parents, for some reason, didn't think to explain what was happening to me in a way that you should to a child. It was like it was happening, but nobody was telling me. And um, in the midst of that, I was sent to school. And I truly remember that I think at least a part of me believed that when my mother left me at school that first day, that she was never coming back either. And I screamed and screamed and screamed when she left. Like, I went ballistic. And I remember the teachers trying to keep me in the room. And so now she's gone. And I'm in this uh, school. And, and one of the ways this kind of these traumatic events affected me is that I couldn't learn. You know, many times developmental trauma issues are confused with ADD or ADHD because they present the same way. And I just was scattered. I, I was hyperactive. I couldn't learn anything. Um, it's the other one, Diana's the color one. That one, we'll use this one in a few minutes. That's, so this is the little girl we're talking about. Stephanie Jones, you've been running from this your whole life. So what I would do, I, I'm more of a fight girl. I'm not really a flight girl. Some of you are flight people. Oh, I'm a fighter, believe me. And so I just figured out, you can see the school in the background behind me. I figured out that there was a few weak spots in the school security system. <laughs> oh, and I ran. I would get outside and I would be over that fence and I would run across this field because if I could get all the way across, there was a little pathway that went the back way back to my house. And I remember being chased across the field by um, teachers shouting at me. And one time I made it, I knew that this teacher who was running obviously much faster than me was gaining on me. And so I saw the slide that was in the play park and I ran up the smooth part of the slide and stood at the top and he was trying to figure out so he tried to come up the stairs and I went down the slide and then I ran around and came back up and he tried to come up the slide and I went down the stairs. We just went on like that for a few minutes. I'm sure that he caught me. I don't remember the end of it. But I would just run out of this classroom and many times when the Lord comes to shepherd you, he's coming to find a little part of you that got left behind. Now, you know, the therapeutic understanding of, of trauma is that in the moment that you experience trauma, you, a part of you becomes frozen in time. Like if I take a piece of chicken now and I put it in the freezer, six months later I can take it out and it will be in the same condition it was. Once it defrosts, it will be in the same condition it was when it was put in the freezer. 
And an understanding is coming now into the therapeutic world that when you experience trauma, something freezes. Like you get stuck there. It's called fragmentation, the fragmented self. Part of you is stuck. Part of me was stuck as the little running girl. And what I came to understand is the little running girl who is kind of a fragmented part of who I am had this retractable leash in her hand. And if she got defrosted a little bit, if she got triggered, it was like she could hit a retractable leash. And I just got, they call it reactivated trauma. You get pulled back into feelings that are long ago feelings. You know, when I'm present in a situation as a 43-year-old woman, I don't need to run. I will never be in that much danger again. And for me, it was all perceived danger because nobody was trying to hurt me in that school, but I really felt they were. It was very austere environment, and for a little girl who couldn't think and didn't know if mum was coming back, but didn't know how to say any of that, because when we're little, we just don't have language for things. And then when we grow up, sometimes we just don't have language for things. But we have to learn to say it, because if we can find the words, if we can say it, then we can feel it. And when you allow the emotions that are trapped in there to really process, then you can actually see healing come. Just another example, because some of you are thinking, well, I never had to go through something like that. Let's see the next picture. This is me when I was uh, nine years old. And any of you know who know my daughter, Lily, you know how much she looks like me. And Isaac, yeah. So, um... Just to show you that trauma is a spectrum. You know, the definition of trauma is something that impacts you negatively. Okay, so we've got a big spectrum here. It's interesting. Some people have been seriously traumatized by things like dog bites. And here's the really interesting thing. There, there are cases of, let's say, a one-year-old child encounters a dog, and the dog bites the child. Okay. As a grown-up, the, chi- the, the, the human being has no explicit memory of this. They don't remember it at all. But they are terrified of dogs. Okay? And uh, we have a friend who's uh, had a daughter, and they actually got her over it through exposure therapy, which means you expose yourself to the thing that you think is going to hurt you, and then you discover it doesn't, so your brain <coughs> overwrites that working model. But um, she was... You know, she came into our house. Our dog is the most docile thing. I don't think it knows how to bite. It's basically, it's basically a mute, lame dog is what we have. That's, that's our dog. <laughs> I think it's a cat. I don't know. But um, so it, you know, she would come into the house and she would start to tense up. She would be hiding. She would, you know, because she's re-experiencing long ago feelings. Okay, things that belong in the past, things that should be filed in, this is over now. But your brain doesn't work like that. Your brain is there to keep you alive. So your brain's like, whoop, oh, we've got, we've got a big problem here. This is going to present huge problems. And it's kind of funny when we're talking about dogs and 12-year-olds, but when we're talking about women in their 40s, 50s, 30s, and 20s, alongside other women in community, and we're having disproportionate responses because we're pulling information and emotions from long ago into the here and now when they don't really belong there. Okay, that's when things get complicated. So this is me when I was nine years old. And um, when I was this age, 
I was in my bedroom one day and my mum, I hear her call my name. So how many of you heard this story about the Holocaust? Some of you who've done the Wellspring School, I think I shared it on the class there. So I come into the living room and my mum says, sit down on the couch. So I sit down and she says, you're old enough to know about this now. You're old enough to understand this. And so I look at the television and here is these absolutely horrific images of these emaciated people lining up outside a big concrete building and there's, you know, German shepherds and men dressed in military uniform and the BBC presenter is saying, you know, and they were lined up outside the gas chambers and I'm just like, what is this? And my mum says, this was what the Germans did to the Jews in, in World War II, what the Nazis did, and she's explaining it to me. And I know for my mum, that was a really noble kind of motivation. Like, I'm going to teach my daughter about this. She's nine or ten. She can learn about this now. But for me, it just totally blindsided me. And I just was, I was totally stunned, honestly. And, you know, when you are traumatized or shocked or impacted, the responses are fight, flight, or freeze. Well, I didn't, uh, um, I mean, I think the fight would have been to say, I don't, I don't want to watch this, you know. Uh, the flight would have been probably just to, you know, run. And the freeze, but I froze, which means I just completely froze and watched the whole thing. Now, okay, so that's however many years ago. That's a long time ago, right? How does that affect me as a grown woman? Well, I'll tell you how it affects me. When Scott and I moved down to South Carolina, I started to notice something in my life that had been there a long time, but it was kind of getting a little bit more pronounced. And that's the thing with post-traumatic stress, is it, you'll find it will lay dormant at times, and then it will get, something will activate it. And for me, what activated it was having my own children. Because when you have your own kids, you feel more vulnerable in this world than you did before. Amen. Okay? Amen. So, and, and for some of you, that will go up and down depending on the ages of your children. It may be worse for you when they leave home. It may be better for you when they're at home. It may be worse when they're babies, better when they're grown-ups. It just depends. We're all, we all have our own trigger points. And so, for me... I said to Scott one day, can I ask you something? And he said, sure, what is it? And I said, how often do you think about the Holocaust? And he says, I don't know, like a few times a year? And I said, oh. <laughs> and he said, why? How often do you think about the Holocaust? And I said, honestly, between five and ten times a day. And he said, oh, honey, that's not good. <laughs> so I rang Amy. How often do you think about the Holocaust? You know, I don't know, like once a month. Mm, how often do you think about it? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, and it was funny because we'd go to Barnes & Noble and Scott would, on our day off, and Scott would like to have a stack of carpentry magazines, house and home, you know, things about guitars, me, stack of Third Reich books, like just this high, reading through them. And it was like I had to keep learning about it. I had to keep knowing about it. And it was really becoming a thing of torment in my life because, you know, I'd be, my kids would be in the bath and I'd be washing their bodies and I would just 
you know, when they're little and skinny and you'd no I'd notice their little ribs sticking out and I'd, all of a sudden it was like, I would be transported just for a moment into seeing their little naked bodies in line in front of the gas chambers. I'd be like, what am I thinking? You know, and the thing is thoughts produce feelings in a split second. So you have them, you have the feels coming. I'm like, oh gosh, I hate this feeling. It's horrible, I've got to shake it off. Well, it takes you 20 minutes to recover. Okay, just from what happens in your brain chemistry right then because you get a little shot of cortisol and you're whoop, you know. So I'm like, well, that, this is not good. And for me, the freedom with this, by the way, was um, I, I had a little come to Jesus moment where I just had to say to him, hey, this is happening and this, I don't like this. And the Lord just showed me that that little girl, this little girl here, this part of me at this moment had kind of fragmented. It's called the fragmented self. Okay, this is the psychology world now. And the Lord said to me, that little girl thinks it's still happening. Because I couldn't, in that moment, I didn't know, wait, when is the 1930s? What year are we? I just didn't know. I thought, like, it's still happening right now. And the Lord said to me, part of you still thinks this is happening. Like it's happening right now. And, and, and maybe knowing about it was my way of coping with it. You know, we have to find a way to be powerful when we're powerless. And for some of you, that's running. And for some of you, that's getting control. And for me, knowing a lot about the Holocaust was my way of controlling the narrative. But really, you know, this little part of me could just pull me in at any moment. And I would be that connected with those really traumatic feelings of finding out something just at the wrong moment for me. Now, I'm not at all upset with my mom because I know she was doing the best she could to educate me. I had a really good education and I really honor my mom for that. And if it had been another nine-year-old in another house, it may have been completely fine. But it wasn't fine for me. And um, the Lord, my shepherd, Jesus, just visited with that little girl. It was like he came into the room, you know, because it, it's so imprinted on my mind. I remember where I was sitting. I remember the room. I remember the feel of the couch underneath me. You know, if I really press in, I can remember the smell of that room. And he just came to that little girl and said, honey, it's not happening anymore. And then this was the real thing, because, you know, as a little girl, I was so sorry for the children, you know, that would have been separated from their parents. And maybe there was some empathy there, because I'd been separated from my daddy, too. And the Lord just said to me, I took all the babies to be with me. <laughs> They're all with me. They all have a daddy. And that really comforted me because it's such a horrific thing, you know. And so trauma can come through third-party exposure. And whatever it is, God wants to come in. He wants to find the little fragmented girl, the little clay girl inside of you. And I call it the little clay girl because <clears throat> I started to think about creation itself and how Adam was just clay. You know, the Lord gathered clay and formed the man. And I don't know if you think about this, but clay is malleable, it's soft. And, you know, I would have loved to see the moment where God formed Adam, just so tactile, so, um, you know, involved, so magnificent. And then he breathed into the man. And, you know, you can think of that many ways. Maybe the wind came, but I've often thought, you know, did 
God in his uh, true form lean over and breathe into the mouth of that man so that when everything came alive, you know, suddenly, suddenly this clay shots with color and suddenly the, you know, everything begins to form into flesh, the muscles, the sinews, the tendons. And then the moment comes where Adam opens his eyes for the first time. And like any mother, and I'm not saying that God is male or female, but like a mother's heart, when that baby opens the eyes, you're like, hello, oh, I love you. You know, this, this was Adam's welcome into the world, just being welcomed into relationship and destiny. That, and, and yeah, Adam was clay, and I think there's some little parts of us that are just like clay that need to encounter our Father breathing life into us. And I have come to imagine that the little frozen parts, the little fragmented parts, I call them the little clay girls that need a Father to come and breathe into them. And so that's what we're going to do this first. We're going to have a short time of uh, an exercise right now, and then we'll do a potty break, and then we'll do, um, I'm going to continue with this Psalm 23 meditation here. So if you brought a photograph of yourself, you can get it out, and you can sit in your seat, or you can find somewhere in the room. the whole weekend obsessing about how you totally devastated your children <laughs> because God will fix them the best thing you can do is get it yourself so the best thing you can do is put that out of your mind and just get this for yourself and you'll, that will actually impact your grown up children or your young children more than sitting here obsessing about what you've done wrong because God will be faithful and none of us have done a perfect job, by the way. And the worst thing is, sometimes even in the things that we're do we think in that moment we're doing well, we found out later it was not the most intuitive way to parent that one child. It's okay for this child, but not this child. But God knows. Okay, so the reason I had you bring a picture um, is because I want you to... Now, we're going to do two things, so it, it may correlate and it may not. But uh, the first thing I want you to, to do is to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to get in touch with a time in your life where you think, wow, that was a traumatic time, an era, an era where I felt lonely or misunderstood, or something happened to you that you know that really impacted me. And maybe there's a little part of me still stuck there. That's the little girl that we want to talk to today. And uh, that's the little girl we want Jesus to find. So this, I have, you know, I could have brought like 20 pictures. This time was fun. But I wanted you to have a visual for that little girl. Who's that little girl? Okay. So let's begin. Father, I thank you today that for each one of these ladies, you know... Uh, where the fragmented parts are. 
You know where those little parts are and you know how to find them. And so, Father, would you come and show us right now just an image in our mind of an age uh, that we were, a, a flash image. We've all seen pictures of ourselves when we were little. Maybe we even remember looking in the mirror at a certain age and it's imprinted in there. Or would you take us to a time in our life that you want to touch today? So guys, don't overthink this. If, if nothing comes, just pick something. It's not. Uh, keep your eyes closed. Just raise your hand if you're not, if this is hard to connect with, if you don't see an image of yourself in your mind. It's just a couple of you. So let's try it this way. Just pick an age. Pick an age where you know something happened. Maybe you got a shock. Maybe a dog bit you. Maybe something happened at home that bothered you. Maybe there was sexual abuse. That's a big thing. You have no idea. As I've been really listening the last two years, it's systemic. So just pick something, okay? Let me look out again. Close your eyes, everyone. Raise your hand if you still don't have something in your mind. All right, honey, just pick an age. I'm going to pick it for you, six years old. Just imagine yourself at six years old. have a pen and paper, that would be really good. And I'm going to ask you some questions. And I don't want you to overthink it. I want you to just write the first things that come to mind. So the first question is, when you're thinking about this little girl in your mind, I'm going to ask you, what is this little girl thinking? What is she thinking? Don't overthink it. Just write something. What is she thinking about? kind of thing I used to think then. And how is she feeling? How does that little girl feel? And it doesn't have to all be negative. Maybe she's happy. Maybe she's carefree. Maybe she's frightened. Maybe she's lonely. that little girl, where does she feel she really belongs? Is it with mom, with dad, with grandma? Maybe with no one? Who loves that little girl and where does she belong? 
Where does she feel most safe? holds this little girl, who, who cuddles her, who touches her. And what has this little girl learned about herself? What does she know about herself? Does she know she's pretty? Does she know she's people like her? Does she know that people don't like her? What has this little girl learned about life? What does she know about life already? Does she know life is interesting? It's adventurous? Or does she know life is, is pretty hard? Does she think life is scary? Is it something to be wary of? What did this little girl need? she just didn't get. What is the thing she needed that she just didn't get, just couldn't get? And if you could go back to this little girl now, if you could, as a grown-up, as grown-up Kathy or grown-up Beth, grown-up Amber, <coughs> you know, if you 
go to that little girl, if you could go to little you and you could say anything to her. And if I went back to this little girl, I would say something like, oh, I know that everything feels really scary right now, but one day you're going to be able to read. <laughs> you're, going to be, you're going to write a book. <laughs> no one would believe it. And, um, you know, I know that daddy's gone, but one day you're going to have a really good husband that's going to love you. And one day you're going to find that that God you've been praying to is real. And people are going to like you, and you won't feel so scared and lonely. You know, and that little part in us needs to hear something. So I want you to write down, if you could go to that little girl now, what would you say to her? And, and be kind. That's step one. Let's take a minute and just write down what you would say to that little girl. And if it's hard to find that voice, just use the voice that you'd use if it was your daughter or someone that you care about, a little girl. Think of a little girl in your <coughs> How would you talk to them? Use that voice on yourself. <clears throat> Father, would you come to this little girl? Jesus, would you come as shepherd to this little girl right now? Actually, we'll do that one in a minute, so just forget that. <laughs> We're going to have a party break, and then when we come back, I'm going to tell you uh, what happened to me.
been great. So, yeah. Yeah. That, but, I mean, if you want to put that, you can, but I think everyone knows. It so, uh, it'll be all right. Thank you.
gets exactly as real as you want it to. Being shepherded by the Lord Jesus Christ gets exactly as real as you want it to. And here's the thing, goats are driven, but sheep are led. And there's this, you know, these marvelous pictures at the end of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus will divide the sheep from the goats. And I'm not sure what that all looks like, but I know I don't want to be a goat. <laughs> you know? So, you know, goats have to be driven. They're very stubborn, but sheep are um, herd animals. They're, their very nature is they will go after a shepherd. They will learn the voice of a shepherd. And when Jesus wants to shepherd you, that gets really tactile. And I love that David wrote this psalm because David was a shepherd. 
So when he wrote the words, the Lord is my shepherd, he knew exactly what that meant. It would be like if, um, uh, let's see, who in here is a nurse? Yeah, Kathy, and yeah. If you wrote, the Lord is my nurse, that would really mean something. You know, if you were a surgeon and you wrote, the Lord is my surgeon, that carries more meaning than, you know, if I wrote those words. If you were to write down the words, the Lord is my, is my mother, uh, that would mean something to you. And when David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, what we know about David is he was actually a very good shepherd. You know, he defended his flock against uh, lions and bears when he was just a boy. And so when David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be lacking, it really meant something to him and it really means something to us. And so the Lord came to me and he said, Stephanie Jones, I am your shepherd and you have been lacking. And now I am making you to lay down. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, that was not good news to all of me when he said that. <laughs> and of course, where it took me was to the little running girl. I am making you to lay down because you've been running from this your whole life. And he was, God was going after this uh, trigger in me, which is when I get really overwhelmed, I'll just run. Um, and as I said, you may not even know about it because I'm that good at it. Stephanie Jones, I'm your shepherd. You have been lacking, but now I am making you to lay down. I am leading you beside still waters. And the still waters are the places of cleansing and rehydration. So even this morning, when we did that little exercise, you can sense the kind of still waters of God in the room, that the washing, the bathing, the refreshing, that that's the way of the shepherd. That's kind of the starting point. And when he restores your soul, you know, when you take an old car and you restore it, many times it's made better than it was in the first place. You know, they take these old vintage cars and they put a better engine in them than the one it would have had a hundred years ago. And when God restores you, I just really hope he's going to make me even better than was originally intended. I, I hope he really restores me. And part of the restoration I've come to understand is that, you know, I mentioned earlier that the hippocampus is the part of your brain that is in charge of your autobiography, your narrative. Your brain is always telling you the story of who you are and how you fit into any given situation. But God comes to renew your mind. God comes to rewrite the story. I was, um, there's a girl I know who grew up in a lot of abuse and trauma and actually just at our women's retreat last weekend, she got up and gave this testimony, and it was so beautiful. She said, you know, um, as, as the ministry time was happening, I was remembering times in my life, because her house was always filled with shouts and fighting and fear, and she said, I could just remember the bedside lamp that was next to my bed and how I loved that lamp so much. And then I remembered this other thing that someone gave me and how much joy it brought me and how I would do this thing and it would make me happy and how this person was in my life and they showed me love. And as she was saying this, I could just see what the Lord was doing. He was coming to rewrite her autobiography. You have not been the lonely forgotten girl, but I remembered you. You know, amazingly, the prophet Isaiah wrote, writes, though a, a woman 
Though a mother may forget the child at her breast and have no compassion on the one she has born. Like that is unbelievable for most of us that the prophet is saying even a mother can put away her baby and just forget them. And, and for most of us we say I don't relate to that. But the prophet Isaiah was speaking into a broken humanity where even mothers could be so taken away by addiction or brokenness that they could put away their own children. And, and God says, though a woman would forget the child at her breast and have no compassion on the one she is born, yet I will not forget you. God will never forget you. And, and what God does is he begins to reassemble your autobiography. He begins to show you, but I was with you. I kept you alive. I brought that person into your life that noticed you. I gave you that thing that you wanted when you were a little girl, and I moved you from here to here, and I brought you alongside that person who shared the gospel with you, and we begin to see there is another reality. And sometimes when we hear words in songs like, you know, God will never let me down, or, you know, there's no battle, he can't win, you know, our brain says, well, look at all the things that didn't work out, and look at the times he didn't, you know, protect my kids, or I was thinking when um, Audrey was singing that song this morning, which is beautiful, by the way, about the the battle and the mountain. And I was thinking, you know, my son Isaac was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. He got childhood diabetes. And I, always, I had this thing I would always say, and I would say it when I was preaching. You know, when things get bad, I just think to myself, at least I'm not in MUSC, which is the children's hospital in Charleston. You know, at least I'm not there. You know, if I'm having a really bad day, I'm not there. So I have something to be happy about. And that really was like my go-to in a on a bad day. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I'm driving down the highway after the ambulance as my son is being raced to hospital because his blood sugar is 800. And they're like, this kid is in critical condition. And I'm driving after the car and I'm saying, well, now I am on my way to MUSC. So, whoa, the whole terrain just changed, you know. And I remember we got there, we got into the room, and Isaac is just so, uh, you know, he's so laid back, he's a lot like Scott in his personality, and in the next room, I could just hear this kid screaming, I don't know what they were trying to do to this kid, but the kid was screaming and screaming, and I'm like, my new normal, my new, my new thing is, at least I'm not the parents of that kid, <laughs> it's not that bad, you know, and, and really that, that kind of gets you through, is, is you, you, you begin to say, and what all of this is pulsing towards is if Isaac doesn't get a healed pancreas in this life, he'll have one for all of eternity. Amen. Okay, so that's, that's where my victory lies. And it's not like the cop-out, like, oh, we suffer in this life and we'll be fine once we get to heaven. It, it's not that. It's, it's a much more empowered um, narrative where you begin to say that's where we're on our way to. Yeah. We're on our way there right now, and some of the victory we'll get right now, and I will just mention, when I was driving after the ambulance, I was just thinking, I cannot believe this is happening. And those of you who've had children that have been diagnosed or, or have lost children, there's the feeling that, you know, I can't believe this is happening to me. And as I was driving after the ambulance, I saw a clear vision of Isaac in his 20s as a young man, 
And I just knew he was no longer diabetic and I had no grasp on, is there gonna be a cure for diabetes or is God gonna heal him? But I just knew it was like a promise from God you'll see a young man with no diabetes. And I kind of didn't know that, is that the resurrected Isaac? I don't know. But it, this assurance came to me. And um, about six months later, there was a <clears throat> preacher came and stayed at our house. And we were eating dinner one night. And he just piped up. He said, Isaac, I wanted to tell you. He said, when I arrived here, the Lord showed me a vision of you as a young man. And you had no oh. diabetes left <laughs> in your body. And I was like, yes, Jesus. Yes, yes. You know. <laughs> So there's, God offers us narratives of victory along the way. And, and that's part of the restoration of soul he's bringing to us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I've come to realize that we can apply that to the whole idea of neural pathways. They're the little pathways of thought in your mind. Like if you imagine, um, you know, I'm walking through a forest and every day I walk through the same path. So after 10 years, there's no grass left there. It's just a dirt path. And when I stand at the forest, I can see that path. It's well-worn. And the more you think a thought, the more second nature that becomes to you, the more uh, that, that is just your way of thinking. But just like if one day I thought, you know what, I don't want to walk this path anymore. I'm going to start a new path. And so you might have to kind of amble over some of the grass and the vegetation and whatever. But after a while, if you did that every day for a year, this would be the new well-worn path, right? And so God, your shepherd, wants to lead you onto neural pathways of righteousness, different thinking, righteous thinking. Isaiah 55, verse 8, his thoughts are higher than yours. He can help us to get there. He can shepherd us onto this path. And I'm not talking about just be positive. I'm not talking about that because that, that helps, but it only helps so much. But if you go the shepherding process and allow the healing waters, allow the restoration of soul, the new thinking comes. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And we have all walked through that valley. You know, you've been in the valleys where somebody you love has died, and those shadows are real, and they are cold, and they are lonely. You've been in the valleys of the shadow of death of a relationship, the death of a friendship, the death of a marriage, the death of a dream, the death of a career, the death where you lost some aspect of physical capability with health or something, and those long shadows of things lost are something we all find ourselves in. And yet there is a shepherd that wants to come. And for me, this little girl found herself in the valley of the shadow of the death of a family. The death of a mom and dad being together. And in this encounter, uh, Jesus said to me, Stephanie Jones, I am your shepherd. You are lacking but I'm making you to lay down. And immediately I just entered into this really vivid picture where I was that little girl in the classroom sitting at the table where we would do math. And I don't know what kind of technique this was, but we used to have these little cubes that had numbers on each side and you had to stick them together. 
uh, and it was a way of doing uh, adding and subtraction. To this day, if you put me in a room with those cubes for 100 years, I couldn't tell you what you're meant to do with them. <laughs> but um, I, was, I remember just being so perplexed, so lost, you know, so in the valley of the shadow of death in that classroom. And I had this uh, encounter with Jesus where he came into that classroom as shepherd. And he said to me, quite matter of fact, right, you're not running. We're not running out of here. That's the one thing we're not doing. And I was like, okay, we're not going to run. You know, I'm going to make you to lay down. And I understand that this feels like a really scary valley to you, but I am with you. Okay? And he just began to say these words to me. My rod and my staff, they comfort you. And then he said, and I'm preparing a table for you right here in the presence of your enemies. And to me, as that little six-year-old, my enemies felt like my teachers. I know they weren't, but everything just felt hostile to me. In a hostile environment, everything is hostile, right? The kids were mean, the teachers were scary, the classroom felt so thick with intensity and fearfulness to me. And I just saw Jesus, he put, pushed all of the blocks off the table and he just put this picnic basket on the table and he started setting out a little tea party. And he said, I'm making a tea party for you in the presence of your enemies. And I just, there was this, I was so in touch with the feelings of wanting to run, like it was all dredged up, like I could feel the emotions of that little girl, and just the intense desire to run or to hide. The other thing I would do when they got really smart about keeping me in the school is I used to go and hide under the coats in the cloakroom, so I'd like hide under them and think maybe no one would find me. Hiding and running, right? That's fleeing away. And Jesus was just trying to reach that little part of me and say, we're going to learn something new. And it's called staying present. And you can do that because I am with you. And just the intensity of his eyes. I am with you. Don't run. Don't run. Don't run. And when Jesus comes, it then goes on to say, he will anoint our head with oil. And the reason that shepherds did that in the ancient world was because if there was a wound on the head of the sheep, the pestilence, the flies would come and start to feed off the wound. And if the shepherd would put oil on the wound, it would keep the flies off. You know, in the New Testament, one of the names for Satan is the Lord of the flies, yeah. right? The perilous pestilence is a picture of demonic activity where you have a woundedness or something in your thinking and the enemy knows about it. He's attracted to it, and he tries to feed off that. And yet your shepherd wants to come to you, and even it's not, again, you know, God is not like the quick fix God. He's not, right, we just need to get this fixed right now. And he's like, okay, while we're still working this out, I can just put some oil on there for you, and that will at least relieve the torments. How many of you need some oil, right? Yeah, yeah. In a minute, I'm going to release that over you. And I want to tell you, years ago, the Lord visited with me as shepherd and gave me some oil. And I have seen that oil with me all the days of helping people along. That that oil is real. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I love this narrative because at the beginning, Jesus says, you know, Stephanie Jones, I'm your shepherd and you are lacking 
And then here we have your cup runs over, which is the opposite of lacking, right? And I really believe that through this journey with God, we can find that we're overflowing in areas where we were lacking. And things can really change. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And, and this is what Jesus said to me. Stephanie, you have nothing to run from because now the only thing chasing you is goodness and mercy. Wow. You have nothing to run from anymore because the only thing that's really on your tail is my goodness and my mercy. What do you have to run from? And just allowing that to kind of rewrite my story. And of course, you know, the walking out is that then over the next few months is you find yourself in situations where that gets triggered. Whatever, whatever that little fragmented girl stuck in the classroom, you know, that gets reactivated and you feel that the, you know, your working model for that is I start to get out the way. I start to find a way out of this, even if no one can tell I'm doing it because I'm that good, you know. But the Lord just began to say to me, no, stay, no, stay, no, stay. It was like constant, nope, stay, nope, stay, nope, stay. I'm with you, nope, no, no, don't you dare. I see you sneaking out, nope, stay, stay. And, you know, exposure therapy is just facing the thing that you are terrified of. And I watched this great documentary uh, about people who have food, you know, who have phobias, and, and particularly food phobias. And there was this woman who was afraid of peas, you know, like green peas. I mean, if she saw them, she would have a full-on panic attack. She'd start shaking and sobbing. There was somebody who was... Um, afraid of frogs, which I can understand that one a little better. You know, there's people who, um, there was this one lady who was afraid of knees. So she couldn't touch her own knees. She couldn't touch her children's knees. She couldn't touch her husband's knees. She couldn't look at knees. And so, and it was amazing to me, the whole show was about this therapist who gets people to see breakthrough with their phobias. And with every single one of them, that thing was something that was associated with trauma in childhood. Uh, with the, uh, the lady with the knees, she, um, she, when she was a, a, a little girl, uh, her knee had become dislocated and she heard it pop. And when they put it back in, she just... She became afraid of her knee and, and just didn't want to touch it. And then it got into she didn't want to look at it. And then it got into she didn't want to look at anyone else's knees. And this, the, the whole thing was filmed. This therapist uh, sat next to her. And the first thing he did, you know, he'd been working with her for weeks, is he showed her his knee. And she, was, she just started sobbing, absolutely sobbing. She's like, I can't look at it. And uh, so then he had her look at her own knee, and it was, she was crying, and then eventually, the next session, he got her to touch her knee, and it just went on and on. Now, we look at that, and we think, oh my gosh, that is so extreme. How can anyone end up in that spot? <laughs> we all do that, by the way. It's just, what's your trigger point? And when you hit that, you know, your shepherd wants to say, no, 
You're not going to become anxious and control everything. Because that was, you know, I had like two modes. One was run, but no one can tell you're doing it. So that one is particularly cunning. But the, the other one is just, just be in charge of every relationship. You be the one with the metronome. You set the pace of absolutely everything. And then you are safe. And what that looks like is a gregarious, welcoming, hospitable person who always has everyone to their house. Yeah. <laughs> that completely has fallen apart. It's amazing, actually, over the last two years, I have just come into a place of just rest. And, you know, I'm still the same person. I am actually authentically an extrovert, and I do love having people to my house. But the drives behind all of that have changed and it has been really interesting, but it took absolute submission to the shepherd. You know, don't want, nope, I see what you're doing, you stay where you are, you know. Okay, I'm here, I'm not gonna run, you know. Or then, or then on the other side of it, not controlling it, you don't know, just let it go. Just take your hands off, just watch what happens if you don't have to be the one setting the time on that. And it has been really a relearning that has come out of the oil, it's come out of the feeding from his table, it's come out of not running, and it's come out of allowing him to rewrite my story. But I want to tell you, there is so much more rest in life. And it, it, it is just available to every single one of us to just keep going step by step along the way. And the voice of the shepherd is there for all of us. You know, he said, my sheep hear my voice. And he only asks us to go one step at a time. So I'm going to lead you, if we can get some music on again, I'm going to lead you through a meditation on Psalm 23, and then I'm going to dismiss you for lunch. Okay? Yes. So we'll do this in two. All right, so so I'm going to read Psalm 23 over you, and I'm going to pause at certain points and ask you to consider something or ask you to pray something as the Holy Spirit leads us. And what this is, is a, it's a, just a presenting yourself before the shepherd. And... Um, what will come will come. So, well, Father, we thank you so much. Come and just give us grace right now to tune into you for these extra few moments. Um, with so much stirring in our hearts and minds, we really need a shepherd. We really need a shepherd. So, daughters, the Lord is your shepherd, but you are lacking. So if you know an area where you're lacking, just kind of present it to the Lord, just in your quietness, in your heart, or picture that area and just show it to him. Where are you lacking? Maybe you're lacking wholeness in an area. You're lacking peace in an area. 
You're lacking confidence. You're lacking uh, the ability to cope. Just present that to him. He is making you to lay down. And this means that he wants to turn off that fight, flight, or freeze compulsion that has been driving you in certain areas. So I want you to just say to him, and we'll say it out loud, I'll say it first. I'm willing to lay down. Now, if you really mean it, say it again. And then you should say as much as I'm able. <laughs> so shepherding, shepherding God, carry your sheep, and they want to yield to you. Would you let Father, right now, the still waters of your presence come through this room and begin to wash us and cleanse us. And even wash our eyes where we just don't see it. restores your soul and I've learned that restoration equals excavation like where is this coming from father where is this coming from and for me the running girl was the little girl in the classroom what well, is there something you would show us right now where does this come from in our story Where does this come from in our story? Father, would you remind us of a time? He leads you in pathways of righteousness for his name's sake. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the pathways of unrighteousness? What are the lies we believe? What are the lies that little girl believed? What are the lies we believe that make us run or hide or be in charge and in control? You know, the emotion many times is fear, the fear of rejection, but really underneath it all, it's a fear of being left alone for many of us. Or a fear of being seen because we feel very unlovable, very unworthy under it all. place really is the valley of the shadow of death in Woodley. So Jesus, would you come as shepherd 
and show us that you are with us. Let us just catch a glimpse of you in our valley. Whether that's a memory that we've thought of or a time in our life or right now. Jesus, come and give us a little glimpse and that would come like a picture popping into your head, maybe. And what's his posture like? What might be the kind of things he would say? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, the, the rod and the staff are there to kind of prod the sheep around and get it to go where it wants. And sometimes God, you know, no, stay, be present. No, don't run. There's a, a forcefulness, but it's comforting. So, Father, come and release comfort. Even if you need to kind of even correct us a little bit. If we need help doing something differently, it's still comforting. Come and wash into us with your comfort right now. And you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Father, when is a time, Jesus shepherd, when is a time that we feel under threat that we feel is a hostile environment. Whether it really is or isn't, we felt that way. <coughs> Jesus, would you come in and make us a table there that we can just look at you and eat your food? A table of communion where even in the worst of the worst, you're with us and we can look into your eyes and be strengthened. you anoint my head with oil and I want you to just put your hand on your head and I'm going to speak over this room right now a release of the shepherd's oil I just speak that over you and I release that in this room right now the oil of the shepherd the Lord Jesus Christ to be over the areas that are still open wounds and Lord, where these daughters of yours have been tormented by the flies that have tried to feast on the wound, come where 
so kind to us. You're so kind to us. Just see him putting that oil on your head. Just see him releasing that. You know, he really has to because he said he would. It's, it's a promise. He doesn't break his promises. Father, let these ladies come into a full experience that where they've been lacking, their cup will run over. It will run over with joy and righteousness and peace. And I speak over you, ladies, and I say to you, the only thing on your tail is goodness and mercy. The only thing on your tail is goodness and mercy. And that is the real story now. And so I speak to every other narrative in your mind, every working model. And I say to you, the only thing chasing you down right now is goodness and mercy. And some of you are saying, well, there's this and there's that and there's the devil. And yeah, goodness and mercy wins in the end. It just wins. I've read the end of the book. <laughs> so, Father, I want to pray a blessing of goodness and mercy. And that goodness and mercy would be felt, would be emotionally felt. You are the Father of mercy. And I am so glad because I so need your mercy. And the mercy of God is relentless, it's unending, and it is the very nature of his Father, and he is the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. So Father, I pray a blessing over these ladies as they go into their afternoon, that there would just be waves of mercy and goodness that are felt, 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 felt. As they think it, they'll feel it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Stephanie a hand for that. <laughs> um, I just have a few announcements before we dismiss for lunch. So just to give you a heads up, we are going to be collecting an offering at tonight's um, session for Stephanie, so we can send her off with a great big blessing for all of the amazingness that she is. So you can do that tonight, or there is a box over here as you head out the door that you, there are envelopes, all that good stuff, put money in that, or 